It is so good to be with you. My name is Mark Youngman. I'm one of the pastors here. Happy 4th of July weekend, pandemic version. Um, we hope that you had a great weekend and a great time of celebration. And we are going to celebrate the Lord Jesus Christ today in, in, in worship. We're so glad that you're here to be a part of that. We're actually wrapping up a, a sermon series today, and uh, time is just so relative this year. Uh, we started this series just about six, seven weeks ago, and we've been, we've been looking at this story from the very beginning of the book of Acts, which is the story of the beginning of the church. So this is the experience of the Holy Spirit kind of coming and giving life to the movement that Jesus had set forth. So we're going to start with this passage of Scripture. You've heard it a couple of times during, during this series. It's going to be our beginning point again today. This is Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. This is what the church's first experience of the Holy Spirit was like. I was going to start off by asking you, have you ever experienced the Holy Spirit? But when you put it in this context, we might say, I guess I'm not quite sure. Because does it always involve wind? It even says it's a sound of wind, like it's a violent sound of wind. It's a disruptive movement of God. And does it always involve these, these flames that come and, and burn? <laughs> That's what fire does, right? Is it always this big of a thing? The Holy Spirit can be surprising like fire and wind, but it doesn't always have to happen that way. I was, I was kneeling one time at one of those kind of old-fashioned altar rails in a chapel outside of Chicago. I was in a moment of kind of discernment, I was actually at a school. I was trying to decide, is this the place where God wants me to go to continue my education, to, to move me more and more into the ministry that God had called me to? So I was kneeling there, my, my head down in the right posture, you know, and, I, and I, was, I was praying to God and asking specific questions like, is this the place that you want me to go? And in the middle of that prayer, I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but the prayer did a 180. It was me talking, and then it was the Spirit of God talking to me talking to my heart, speaking to me. It was an amazing, moving experience that I'll never forget. But you know what's kind of funny about it? Is I didn't actually get an answer to the question in the prayer. I didn't get a direct answer of, yes, this is the place. What I got was God saying to me, I am with you, and I am with you here. And so I had this sense of assurance that where I go, God is, God is with me. God will continue to guide me. And so I remembered that moment. And then I went back home, um, Spent some time getting things together, packed up a U-Haul, moved to Chicago. And then not too much later, I was actually able to go back into that chapel, and I, I went right for that spot. I knelt at the altar rail, I kind of put myself in the right position, you know, and I was like, what did I say? What did I say? And I, and I was praying to God some more, and, and I, was just, I was just waiting for this same experience. But you know what? It didn't happen. I didn't have exactly the same experience. I believe the Spirit was present with me, but it wasn't the same kind of moment like I had had the last time I was in that, in that same place. And so I kind of had to think to myself, well, what is, what is it about this, this moment that's different? And the thing that I, I learned in that is that there's not really a formula for experiencing the Holy Spirit. 
the Holy Spirit is way too wild for that, <laughs> to be contained by a human formula, right? Fire and the sound of violent wind, right? There's not a formula for experiencing the Holy Spirit, but there is a pattern that makes us ready to experience the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts puts out this image of this perfect community. We've been reading it together some over the last several, several weeks. It puts forth this image of a, of a church that was a church plant, and on day one, there was the Holy Spirit, and there were flames, and there was wind, and there was the best sermon ever preached, and then 3,000 people responded on day one. I don't know everything about church plants, but that's a pretty rare story. <laughs> and what I think is even more rare is that Yes, there were 3,000 people that responded, but there were 3,000 people that responded in a big way. They changed their lives. They changed the pattern in which they were living. And we've been trying to achieve that same thing, it seems like, ever since. Sometimes we'll even go to that, we'll try to find that exact spot. Well, where was the spot when, when Pentecost came? And, and let's sit in that same place, kind of like being in, in the altar rail a second time. I want to be in the same place where I know that it happened once before and that it can happen again. And we try to kind of repeat the steps. The thing, though, that we're trying to achieve is, is not being in the right place necessarily. It's not a way of dressing. It's not even a way of worshiping. It's a pattern that was lived out by the early church. So what was the pattern that the early church adopted? I hope you're asking that question right now. What was the pattern that they adopted? Tell me, right? So 3,000 people, what did they do? It tells us in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They had just heard the gospel. They had just heard it poured out in the most eloquent way. And they were asking this question, well, how are we going to live this out? What are we going to do in response to this God who had come in the form of Jesus, who would die on a cross, who would defeat death, and we are now invited to repent and enter into this? What do we do? There were really like four parts that we just heard in verse 42. They, they devoted themselves to teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and to prayer. Again, I know I just gave you four points, so it's going to sound like a formula, and our minds instantly want to kind of put them into some kind of a, a flow chart or something. We could, we could even design it into an order of, of worship, but this wasn't a pattern for one hour a week. It was a pattern for a life. It's more about the need to have all of these things present in your life. So it's not even like the order that we put these things in. It's just a pattern of living a life of, of teaching and learning, of fellowship, of breaking bread, and of prayer. Here at Providence Church, our small groups are actually still um, started on this same format, directly from Acts chapter 2. They're designed around this idea. And so thousands of years later, we're still modeling this pattern in the church of Jesus Christ. So real quick, let's, uh, let's look a little bit deeper at what they were doing. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. So who were the apostles? The apostles were the people who had been walking around with Jesus. They had experienced it. 
They had been there when he preached his sermons. They had been there when he healed people. They were there for the miracles. They saw all of his life, and they saw the risen Jesus. That's who you want to listen to when you're, when, when you're trying to learn. You want to listen to those who have been there, those who have witnessed it. I had um, two soccer coaches in the, the glory days of my high school soccer career. It's really sad when a middle-aged bald man talks about the glory days of his high school soccer career. I know, but let's get over that. So I had these two coaches that were, that were a part of that program. And one of them, um, he had never coached anything before. He never played soccer. Um, and I'm, I'm not even trying to be mean. I really don't think he'd ever seen a soccer game before. But he was a nice enough guy to come out there so that we could have a team and, and field a team. And the other coach um, had been like a minor league soccer player, had been playing his whole life, had been coaching for many, many years. Which of those uh, do you think I learned the most from? Right? The one who had lived it out, the one who had experienced the game before, right? This last year, we kicked off the Providence Bible Academy. It was led by a professor who goes to church here, Larry Hellyer. He has decades and decades of walking with Jesus. He has decades and decades of studying God's Word and teaching it to other people. He's the kind of person that you would want to listen to. And he had an eager group of, of students who were learning a, a survey of the Old Testament. They were kind of digging in deeper, which is what the teaching and the learning is about. Digging in deeper, learning more, going deeper. There's also an aspect of preaching to it. Every time I would, I would listen, to, listen in on his classes, he would say, now here's the facts and here's the history, but remember, this is in the scope of the whole story of God's redeeming of his people, of God's redemption of us. It's important. A steady pattern of learning is important. And here, I think, is maybe even the best part of this aspect of their, their pattern. As we learn from those who have experienced it, we become those who have experienced it. As we learn from them, we become like them. And so we teach one another in the church. And that's when it gets really good. That's when it gets really beautiful when we're teaching each other. And when you teach one another about what God has done through Jesus Christ, you are actually connected to the apostles in this story of the very first church. Like they, had, they taught people who taught people who taught people all the way down to us today. Now, I grew up in the, in the church, and it seemed like every church that I visited as a young person had one room that was named something like, it was usually called the Fellowship Hall. Some of you were well, actually grown up in churches that had something like this as well, and it was so common that I didn't really think about how profound it was to have a fellowship hall. In my church, it was in the basement, and uh, as like a lot of older churches, it had a water problem, and so they had musty smelling carpet when you went down there, and it was probably a little gross for people who were coming to, <laughs> coming to visit, but as I think back on all the things that happened in that room, when I was a kid, I learned the Bible stories in vacation Bible school right there in that room. I saw the, the church leaders gather, gathering together to discern how they were going to respond to things happening in the community. As I got older, the youth group came in there, and, and they, they were, were like sharing life together and sharpening each other in the faith. As I got a little bit older, I was sharing with the groups of people who had come from the church to listen to my mission experience, my mission trip experiences. And in the middle of that, we were saying, here's what God did. Here's what God has done. That's what our fellowship was all about. We had communion with each other as we shared in that space. 
the fellowship in Acts in the Acts 2 church created a unified body out of people, it says, from every nation under heaven. Remember, Pentecost was this festival, so the whole world was gathered there. The whole world was kind of swept up in this movement. And I really honestly hadn't thought about what the makeup of the early church looked like. But it was probably very diverse, but very unified because of the way they were living in the Spirit. And then it says that they, they gave to anyone who had need. They would sell their things and they would give to anyone who has needs. And that sounds a little controversial for us right now, right here, right? But I just want to point out, that's actually what this church does. When somebody calls with need, this church responds. When something is happening in the community or something is broken, this church responds. When you donate time or money, you're practicing part of the pattern of the early church. And in the midst of this fellowship, it says, they saw signs and wonders. And when they saw signs and wonders, they talked about it. They pointed it out, and it led them to worship. We've seen a lot of signs and wonders here in this place. Sometimes it feels like almost at a ridiculous rate. <laughs> we see God moving. We see signs and wonders. We'll say things like, what? She couldn't walk. And now she's here dancing in front of us. What, his heart was so hard that he couldn't even talk to his, his spouse, and now he's experiencing the blessings of God in marriage. Or they prayed for peace, and peace fell upon them. We heard about homeless students right here in our community, and now they have a place to say, stay. There are signs and wonders that happen when the church is starting to live out this pattern. You see it? And then it says part of their pattern was the breaking of bread. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, of course they broke bread. They were human beings who had to eat. They had to, they had to be nourished, right? So that's kind of obvious they did that. But how they saw this activity was unique. Every time they ate, it was like they were having communion. Even when it was a full meal, they were, it was like they were having communion. It was like Jesus was standing there in the midst of them breaking bread like he did in the Last Supper in the upper room before he was put on the cross. Or it might have reminded them of the time that after he was resurrected, he stood at a table with them and he broke bread. And it was at that moment that they knew who he was. Every time they broke bread was holy for them. Every meal was holy. And for us, it's why we pray. It's why we have a blessing at the beginning of a meal to set it apart. We're not just nourishing our bodies because we have to eat. We're breaking bread so that we can live a pattern of communion with God and with one another. And then this last part of their pattern is that they prayed. It's not the last part. It actually kind of envelops the whole, the rest of it. They talked to God together. They, they sought God. They devoted themselves to this life and to this pattern. If some threat was, was forming against the church or its mission, they would turn to God. There would have been no power in their community if they hadn't been talking to God on a regular basis. So you might be, like, we hear this pattern of, of the early church, and and I'm looking for the manual. Like, how did they know how to do these things? How did they know that this was the pattern that they needed to move into when the church formed? How did they know to meet together, to break bread around tables, to worship together, to pray to God? Well, they saw Jesus doing all of those things. The apostles had, had seen it with their own eyes. He taught small groups and crowds. He, he broke bread in simple and yet really significant ways. He prayed to God the Father. He shared the fellowship of normal moments of life, like on boats and along the roadside and in people's homes. 
Here's one example just from the first chapter of Acts. We've, we've read this in this series as well. It says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You see, there's two parts of this right here. There's the wait and the go. (laughs) There's a reason that Jesus so often invites us to wait. Anybody learning any lessons about waiting the last four months? All of this pattern that we've been talking about is the pattern of their waiting. That's what they're doing when they're doing all these things. They're waiting. And then Jesus says, you wait until you receive power. And when you receive power, you have to go. You have to go. And then go. And then keep going and go a little bit further and just keep going to the ends of the earth. Go, 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 Jesus is saying. The pattern of the early church described in Acts chapter 2 and 3 creates an environment out of which the movement can propel you further. The pattern of the Spirit leads us to go, to respond. The pattern of the Spirit puts you in a place where you can be ready to receive power and then go. So when hard times come, we hear a cry for help, when we know that there is some action out there that Jesus' people need to be the ones to respond to, we can be ready and we can be open to the power of the Spirit to move through us. I wanted to share with you a a picture of our staff team here at Providence Church. And I want to tell you off the top, this is pre-COVID, okay? A pre-COVID picture. That's why we're all snuggled up at a restaurant together. We were actually breaking bread at the start of a time of teaching and fellowship and worship and prayer in Orlando. We were headed to a conference, and it was going to be amazing. We had actually prepared ourselves a lot. We had so much went into the planning to to be there, and and this scene at the table was just the beginning of it. It was going to be awesome. The reason I say it was going to be awesome is because this picture was taken on the evening of March the 2nd. The next morning, we all woke up early to news that a tornado had come through our hometown. And by the end of that very day, we were back on the ground in Nashville, and this amazing team that you saw sitting at that table was full steam ahead, action mode. You, you can't even believe all that happened. We're able, we were able to go, and we had the power to go, because why? Because we had been practicing, right? This posture of learning and fellowship and breaking bread at a table together and prayer. So the pattern is essential to the going. The pattern is essential to the mission. The pattern is essential to the power. Now, there are some of us who, um, well, like we do church right. And we do it really well, you know, like we, we're in worship every week. We, we pray, we, we break bread together. We have this, this pattern. And sometimes if we're not careful, that pattern can actually become a terminal activity for us. And what can fall, we can fall into the trap of thinking that the pattern is the end game, and then we don't go anywhere, which is exactly what the enemy and the dark powers of this world would want is a church that doesn't go anywhere. And then there are Christians who only go, 
Whenever there's a, a call to action, they are there on the spot. And worship and fellowship might be kind of an afterthought, but they go and they're amazing and they change the world through that. But here's the thing. We are meant for the whole thing. You will not be ready to receive power unless you're living in the pattern of the Spirit. Teaching, fellowship, breaking bread, and prayer. The Spirit doesn't just blow into town and then put on a good show and then pull up the stakes and run away, right? What the Spirit does is animates us. Like it gives us life. When you have words that are not your own, that's the Spirit giving you life. When you have power that's not your own, that's the Spirit animating you in an amazing way. You might be hearing what we've been talking about today and might be hearing all this and just thinking, well, that, that pattern would be great for Acts chapter 2 people, but we're COVID-19 people. <laughs> we're people in a pandemic. And when you look at all those things, well, maybe prayer we could do, but the rest of the thing seems like it requires proximity. It requires us to be together, to do, to do the breaking of the bread. And I used to agree with that until this year. One thing I've been taught and retaught in 2020 is that the pattern of the Spirit is not limited to one form of gathering. The Spirit of God is bigger than all of us, but chooses to work within us. One thing that we've learned as well is that there is power in a virtual gathering. Jacob's talked about it a lot. It's, it's, an, it's amazing how we're doing this one thing at one moment, and then there are people worshiping in another moment, and somehow the Spirit connects us and, and brings it all together. There's power in spiritual gathering. There's no denying that the church has been alive during this time. But the power is not virtual. The power is real and tangible, and, and it has flesh because it works in you. We live in a time where words have so much power. They have the power to build up, and they have the power to tear down. It seems oftentimes like words are thrown around like weapons or dropped like bombs. But we have been given the word, the word, the capital W word. That's what the Gospel of John calls Jesus. And the word sends us his spirit and sends us power. Listen to these words from Paul in 1 Thessalonians. Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power with the Holy Spirit, and with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given to the Holy Spirit. It's not just words. There's power. In our drive-in service that we had last week, Pastor Jacob mentioned that he had counted up that during pandemic, we've had 400 minutes of words that have been preached from Providence Church. 400 minutes of words. That's a lot of words. And as I estimate it by a word count of a typical sermon, that's 40,000 words have been preached during the pandemic. That's a lot of words, right? But the gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power. See, I have this sense that we're being called to deeper things. Us as individuals following Jesus, and most certainly us as the church, our current pattern of waiting is a time of God preparing us to receive power. Are you ready to receive power that will change your life and change the world? What's the next act in your life? What's the next act for our church? Honestly, I don't 
I don't fully know what all that is, but it's going to require power that's beyond ourselves, and it's going to be great. Let's pray. God, we have experienced your Holy Spirit like we've had a a Pentecost taking place in here over the last several weeks. And what's so amazing is that this has been a time and has been a season for us where we could have thought that we were abandoned. But we have proof and evidence right here in this community that you still desire to send your spirit into us, to animate us, to bring us to life. So God, if there's any place where we have, have kind of given up the life, we pray that your spirit would fill us again. We pray that your spirit would use us, that your spirit would use this church to bring your kingdom to announce great things to this, to this community and to this world that feel like there is no hope. God, our hope is in Jesus Christ. We pray in his name.